Hello, welcome again to the RDU podcast. This is Sean. Uh, this is not actually a full episode. Generally, after or before recording the podcast, uh, you know, we start talking, we catch up, and almost always, Andy has some absolute nuggets of interesting stories or wisdom. Uh, this time, I've cut together uh, a couple of different ones a few times apart, everything from Pac-Man to Final Fantasy XIV to Digimon. So it's not going to be as fluid as us talking about a specific subject or an intro or an outro, but this is going to be uh, one of the common bonus episodes that we put together uh, since we figured out very quickly that keeping the recording on as uh, Andy had time to speak uh, and we uh, gave him prompts to continue talking was very interesting and our listeners might appreciate it. So please enjoy the first episode of Professor Andy. Example of Pac-Man, when you eat all the dots, you're, it's like, he said it's like if you see a table and the tablecloth is wrinkled, then you straighten it. That's kind of the feeling of beating a Pac-Man stage. You're cleansing it. Mm. Um, but he, then he, he talked about how like there seem to be many destructive games where you delete things, like you delete the dots, you eat the ghosts, you shoot the bad guy, but uh, creative... Like, uh, creative also involved, like, you know, gaining party members or getting a, a better sword. He felt that um, the creative angle could be explored more. And his example of, uh, he said, like, American games or gamers seem to lean more towards destroying an enemy. And then uh, the Japanese gamer seems to lean more towards, I've created a really nice outfit for my Monster Hunter. So, like, just having a nice outfit is something that is very satisfying because you're collecting the parts you're cr- like creating is also gaining things it's a, maybe accumulation is a better word yeah but um he gave this talk and then once i played death stranding it's like wow it's like everything he he was talking about is just very apparent in the game hmm. that that reminds me of like the uh way back when i was looking into like the way that they localize certain titles and you'll even notice that uh, in other regions outside of America, that the way that they position in games uh, it is in that same vein. Uh, the the example that I always go back to is uh, uh, Ace Combat uh, in America. It was called The Unsung War, uh, and in the rest of the world, it was called some configuration of Squadron Leader or uh, roughly trans a couple of versions roughly translated to like uh, you know a successful team. Uh, this is kind of like reflecting the, the differences between like the value that the game dictates, even though it's the same game. Yeah. Or even Ghost in the Shell is like a completely. Well, I mean, it's a line from from the manga, but like choosing that as a title was like uh, an American choice that was then adopted in Japan because uh, the Japanese name was just like you know, armored police squad or something. It was very, like, matter-of-fact, purposefully. But Ghost in the Shell then hinted at, you know, what the story was actually about. But then Ghost in the Shell had the advantage of naming it after the the story was complete. Um, have they ported, like, the old, like, Taiwanese RPGs, like Condor yeah, Heroes? Yeah, the Paladin games. Um, I think yeah, they're yeah. all on Steam now, and it's still ongoing. Great. I should play those. Have they been translated into English? I believe so. Um, what was was uh, Rogue, Rogue Galaxy related to Dark Cloud? 
They had a lot of people that worked on it, right? I think that was level five as well, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Because, yeah. Uh, wasn't that... Did that come before Final Fantasy XII? Uh, Rogue Galaxy? Yeah. I, I feel like Rogue Galaxy was like... 2005, late. right? Or 2007? 2005. Are we recording again? It's still recording, yeah. Okay, cool. So Final so, Fantasy XII was 2006. Rogue Galaxy was... Uh, 2005. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Rogue Galaxy was like kind of a precursor to 12 and like the direction that Dragon Quest would take this decade, <laughs> right? Like, um, I gotta replay it. I actually have it on my PlayStation because they have it on PlayStation uh, Now or Live or whatever it's called, the streaming service. Yeah, I guess with um, Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest, um, I think uh, one of the ways that uh, Final Fantasy mainline titles have gone astray for me is the the input and output like in the turn well in the menu based ones it's you command cloud to swing his gigantic sword and the shinra soldier dissolves into red mist but uh in the remake like you're doing a combo on a mortal soul on a mortal soldier with this sword that's made for like slaying dragons and that just doesn't feel right mm. Interesting. But um, I did see that in the Seven remake, uh, one of the later announcements, they Cloud has different fighting styles, and there's one called Punisher where he's much slower. So I wonder if that will actually, like, have one-hit kills. Yeah, if if you're making an action game, you need those one-hit kills. You need like the the peons that go down easily. Like, not everything can be a damage sponge. Yeah, yeah that's true. Also, in Monster Hunter and Diablo and Fantasy Star Online, you can still tell who gets the final hit on the boss. But it does bug me that in Final Fantasy XIV and just MMOs in general, like, I don't really know who got the final hit. It takes a little bit away from the drama of the story. Because I really enjoy the story. Um, I just finished uh, Stormblood. There's this uh, crazy... Um, son of the emperor that's invading like he all he cares about is just the thrill of combat but like as playing through is like you know i like this guy i feel like he's the first character that's as freakishly powerful as the main character and then that guy comments on that too he's like oh they're very aware of their writing and once you uh, have the final battle with him this like insane like bloodthirsty murderer he calls you his first and only friend because he's oh. the only per like you're the only person that he's regarded as an equal, and he smiles. So, and so then I have, he goes, hmm? yeah. I was gonna ask you, did you play through Realm Reborn, or did you just did you skip to the expansions? Because I've been struggling. Yeah, I played like 1.0 when it was awful. Um, I understand exactly why it went wrong. Um, they were trying to make uh, Fall Fantasy is about the most beautiful experience, but doing that with an MMO and trying to make it seamless meant that very few computers could run it and then so much was consumed with uh, the presentation that uh, I don't know it's it's the gameplay I, I don't know what happened to the gameplay though they did they had some good ideas in that instead of a cooldown a global cooldown you had a stamina meter but the problem was all you did with a stamina meter was just attack 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 um, so that took away from like not having a global cooldown. Like, I can do a whole 
you know, I really should just make a YouTube channel for like if I did this or that because Final Fantasy 14 1.0, they had some good ideas that never finished. I, I think that YouTube channel would do pretty well, honestly. I want to name it if I did it. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely some that are similar to that. Um, it's not quite that, but it's it's definitely a similar kind of idea. Yeah. Also, like, I've uh, been thinking about, um, you know, just, like, doing kendo, doing martial arts. It really, like, doing longsword. It really helps to have some common language to describe, like, different kinds of actions. Like, uh, I think one of the big things Bruce Lee contributed to martial arts world is uh, he just tried to organize, you know, this is how Olympic fencing and boxing and wrestling use the same timing, use the same thought process. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, having standardized language uh, really, really improves communication. Yeah, it's It really is universal because I'm reading more of Bruce Lee's Jikundo terminology and then I'm thinking like wait this is like things that um, actually helped me understand like the tank simulator War Thunder and that shooting somebody in a tank is actually a lot like stabbing them with a sword or punching them in boxing because you're trying not to be blown up too you're trying not to be stabbed or punched it's all angles and timing yeah same underlying principles huh uh, mm -hmm. What were, oh yeah, uh, something I wanted to mention, uh, Digimon's had a really good decade. Uh, it's, uh, uh, Digimon is, I think I, I might like it a little more than Pokemon. Um, wow. Like, even uh, my first time in Odaiba, Tokyo to see the Gundam, like I just instantly made a, a friend because I was by the Fuji TV station, which was like, it, it shows up in Digimon season one. And there is like a, another person my age who's also working in games who was also there because of Digimon season one. And then we just became friends. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, but a lot of like the new Pokemon games, uh, now that they're, you know, they're just doing things that Digimon has always done since the PlayStation 1 era. Like, oh, now your Pokemon are out and follow you around, and, like, you know, you feed them for happiness. You interact with them. It's like, well, like, that's what Digimon's been doing. Uh, but then Digimon also has them pooping, and they also die of old age. So <laughs> I think Digimon, like, uh, Digimon is about uh, childhood's end. Pokemon is like an eternal summer vacation. That's the core difference between the two. Dang. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I, the Digimon story, I think, maybe they were PS Vita or PS3 games, I forget. Um, but they're all out on the PS4, like Hacker's Memory. Like, it's It was a really good, uh, really good story. Um, it just hit all of these really good notes. It's, um, I would say, like, if Man, we didn't talk about Persona 5 either. Persona 5, like, that was really good at structuring, uh, pacing. I'd like to see more games do that, like, you know, every day counts. Uh, but back to Digimon, it, um, I felt like it was, uh, very, like, PlayStation 2 feeling RPG, but the story was just really good. Don't want to spoil it, because, uh, people should go play it. When was that made? 
Um, these have been like 2012, 2015 Hacker's Memory. Okay. Like Hacker's Memory did all these really strange things with their side stories that really built up the world. Like um, it's a world where like everything is connected to this uh, digital internet with Digimon in it. But then they had stories unrelated to directly using Digimon. Like, uh, okay, Hacker's Memory came out in 2017. So, yeah, it was a PS4 game, maybe. Um, there was a side story where you go to a cafe, and uh, what the owner's been doing is uh, he invites you to drink this, like, super rare civet coffee that's, like, thousands of dollars. And he uh, lets people who have never tried it before drink it. But then uh, he erases their memory with his Digimon. And then uh, he sells that memory to old people who are too frail to, like, drink coffee anymore. But they have lots of money. Wait, so he's harvesting, like, first experiences? Yes. So wow. an old Isn't, isn't that kind of the plot of Get Out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um... It's a little, well, it's less grim because they're not taking over your body. But uh, it's it's done in a playful way. And then um, when you're fighting the Digimon, like, sometimes they're, like, on a memory server that's disrupting, like, traffic or, like, a power plant. But um, instead of killing them, it's about, there's, like, it's about building a sustainable ecosystem. So... This Digimon that's messing up the traffic system, you don't kill him, you just find a, like, here is a remote power plant where he can, like, actually contribute to it in some way, instead of uh, eliminating him. It's about creating a sustainable world with digital monsters. That's cool, to, to have the gameplay and the story and themes fit together. Yeah, and uh, then an older... Like a 2015, I think, Digimon World, it's like a fairly open it's exploration game where that game is, they, you get your baby Digimon, but they don't tell you exactly, they don't force you to train. So if you leave with your baby Digimon, you're just going to like get it killed by the more experienced Digimon. And so like, but I've played Digimon before, so I know like, okay, I'm supposed to hit the gym before and then evolve them a few times. But what was kind of clever is uh, if you win your first battle, the trophy you get is called Figured It Out. They actually expect you <laughs> to uh, figure it out by yourself, that sending a baby into the wilderness is, you don't do it. <laughs> the baby needs to learn. You have to teach the baby first. That's some uh, respectful gameplay, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's... Well, it's um, a lot of the experiences people desire from next generation Pokemon or things Digimon has done for like 20 years now. And they really should just uh, market Digimon 1. Um, because it's really like the way they market it is for the fans who are, all, they are already fans. They grew up with it in the 90s. Um, they don't really seek out new people. And another funny thing is like, I think one of the weaknesses of Digimon is that... Uh, they uh, have lots of cute, sexy girl designs, but they're not, like, as endearing as the cute girls in Pokemon. 
like all of them in Digimon have like short skirts already. While in Pokemon, they design them in a certain way where like they have a long jacket and then it might flap in a way that you see their thigh. They definitely do this on purpose. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> and po- Pokemon's more subtle. No, oh, but it's um, it's Pokemon is also based on trending Japanese uh, Tokyo fashion. Um, this guy, Japanese guy, uh, he he runs like uh, an otaku culture promotion channel. Like he was cataloging like, oh, these are generations of Pokemon from the last ten years, and this is when it was popular in Tokyo, like this fashion. So you would think like, oh, Pokemon is like the game for kids, while Digimon is like for like it has more an adult setting. But the designers of Pokemon are more in tune with like what fashions are current. They're better than that at than Persona Five too. Like uh, Persona Five actually looks more like how people dressed in dramas in the 2000s, even though it's supposed to take place like kind of five minutes in the future. Like Pokemon is what people wear their like it's what clothes uh, are going to look like already look like and will stay looking good even if it was like in fashion five years ago yeah yeah pokemon designers definitely have their thumb on the, the, the pulse of like uh, modern trends modern well modern fashion definitely they really should just sell clothes from the game um not like Pokemon branded clothing, but just this is what they're wearing. Like, you know, dress up as the trainer. Like, I mean, some of the Pokemon artists, we follow their social media accounts, like Tokia Sakba, like his uh, private artwork, like it's super duper cutting edge, really cool fashion. And he has designed some limited edition clothing before. Yeah, I'd say, um, in general, uh, a lot of the artists I, I see coming up online, um, they're, they're more stylish, uh, more more fashion conscious than uh, pre- previous generations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you look up like Japanese convention videos from the '90s and 2000s, there's more of the like you know otaku with the plaid shirt tucked in. But now <laughs> yeah. everyone dresses like they are a Pokemon trainer. Yeah, yeah. In 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 the U.S. as well, like go to the artist alley, you're gonna see a lot of like stylish people. Yeah. Same same with Thailand. A lot of the artists are gonna be pretty uh, trendy, trendy looking people. Not not your uh, stereotypical, uh, you know, otaku. Although they they're they're still around too. They'll always be around. I think, I, like, my psychoanalysis is I think this fashionableness is actually kind of creating more shut-ins because like you now like going to like the arcade to play fighting games people are dressing much better there's more pressure to dress well i mean the newest pokemon seems to focus more on the trainers than on the pokemon themselves like when, when you talk when you hear the discussion around the game people talk about their trainers so i liked this trainer you know, I like yeah. this dialogue from here. I like this design. You know, like you, you don't really hear very much about the new Pokemon. Do, yeah. Do you think it's because um, like they're getting to the point where they have so many, and so many of them are <clears throat> almost just you know recreations of animals? It might be difficult to you know keep being on the treadmill of 
here's a new whatever. Like, I think back when there was only a couple hundred and they had the whole collect them all approach, it made more sense to focus on the Pokemon. But now I think it's more about seeing yourself uh, or seeing your character as this person that is a trainer of them and that there's such a large variety. Yeah. I would say uh, it's uh, it's actually um, what they're doing with the Pokemon design is actually, I feel like it's kind of overthinking it in that um, a lot of them have, have like, uh, I ranted about this before, it's like uh, the current, gen- the new generation, or what's out in Sword and Shield, like the Pokemon designs are, they have enough unique fe- features to be two different Pokemon from like, the 90s or the 2000s or even just like pokemon uh sun and moon like there is a fox pokemon you encounter in sword and shield very early it uh has like a gentleman thief design in that it's like the black paws of the fox evolve into like you know something that looks like a musketeer's gloves and it grows a mustache and then it has like a zoro mask but then it also has like a tail that's like a suction cup, and it also has a bunch of markings on its face that's not directly related to the Zoro mask. But if you compare it to the first generation Fox Pokemon, like Vulpix and Ninetales, like they are just straight up a fox with multiple tails, you know, the Kitsune monster. But they're one flair to make it stand out from being a fox and being a generic Kitsune is they have like a fashionable hairstyle. Vulpix has, like, the cinnamon roll curls, and then Ninetales just has, like, a cream puff of hair on the head. That is just one detail. So, so I'm looking Instead at some of, of the designs now. Are you talking about, like, so there's, like, an elephant that also has, like, a trunk that forms a fist, but also wears a cowboy hat-looking thing? Yes. <laughs> like, uh... Like, I mean, looking at Generation 1, like, uh... Geodude is a rock with two arms. Um, Generation 2, um, do you know the Pokemon Skarmory? He's a steel bird. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has a, a can opener for a tail. Like, it's a pretty subtle design. I, I never consciously thought about it until, like, I just looked at it again. Um, You're right, some all... of these new designs are very complex, although they do have, like, Applin, which looks like an apple. Yeah, <laughs> it's I also kind of feel like Generation 1 is closer to Dragon Quest in that, um, like, a lot of these Pokemon, you're not going to feel like it's abuse if, like, a warrior has to fight it to the death. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're still, like, uh, monsters. They're, 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 right. They're, they were more pets than monsters. Like, they, uh, you can eat oh, Sorry, more monsters slow- than pets, yeah. They eat slowpokes. Slowpoke tails are harvested. You can eat them in curry. They show up in Sword and Shield. You can eat their tail. But if you cooked, like, a Sword and Shield generation new Pokemon, if you ate its tail, you would feel like you're abusing a child. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you're right. They have a lot more, like, personification to them, and they have a lot more complexity. Uh, a A lot more than just kind of look like humanoid to a degree um which is i but the trainer designs are still like very crisp like um there's this uh like a rocker girl character that's like really popular in fan art and she is uh she just has like a neat hairstyle a leather jacket 
and then like a pink dress underneath the leather jacket. That's just two different things. Um, so that it's the trainer designs are, are still awesome and like maybe getting better and better and wider variety while some of the Pokemon designs just become like very cluttered. Yeah. Uh, I do wonder why that is. I think maybe a part of it is um, there are a lot of Pokemon that are like made like maybe by a one-off design artist or like they only make a few. But the trainers, like, uh, that's usually, like, um, I don't know the exact process, but I think they have, like, only one or two, like, experienced people make most of the trainers. I, I like the, the trainer has, like, a cord sweater, or, like, uh, many of them have, like, a coordinated beret with uh, a kind of a tasteful hooded jacket. Uh, you're right, there's actually a lot of fashion nuance to that. It isn't... Um, well, like even the, the the corded sweaters has like a specific type of button on it. Uh, the kind of mat like a triangle that matches up against like the rest of the, the geometry on uh, the outfit. It's actually pretty smart. Yeah, the the trainers look great. Um, there's like fewer of them per game too, right? That like you, you just don't have to make as many new trainers as you do Pokemon, right? Well, yeah. It well. It's usually, like, maybe eight main, like, gym trainers, and then, like, yeah. 50, 100 Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, but I think regional variance is really good. Um, that's where, I, like, that seems to be the most straightforward way of adding variety. Like, you know, just uh, have a, a Vulpix that's ice instead of fire, or they should do something like, you know, maybe here's a Bulbasaur with a different plant on the back. Yeah, they don't they don't have to completely reinvent the wheel every single time. Um, I mean, what are you gonna do when there's like two thousand Pokemon, right? Like, is it gonna get to that point? I I just found a thing where people have remade many of the Sword and Shield trainers yeah. in the the uh, Soul Calibur creator. Oh, well, actually, that's a really really versatile creator. Yeah, it actually looks pretty good. Like, it, it, I think it shows off how like good their designs are. What is the chance that both character creators would have a green beret with a a, a puff on top? Pretty good, apparently. Uh, okay. Yeah, looking it up. Um, wow, they've made Animal Crossing characters in Soul Calibur. Oh wait, <laughs> did you guys see the um, uh, Magic Heart in Soul Calibur? Yeah, that one was that, good. That, that was the best. Look that up. Okay. It's, it uses the um the wide. Just, 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 just yeah, you, you just got to see it. For oh yourself. wow, that's really impressive, actually. Like you need really the same creative. engineering skill to make a transformer. Yeah, it was uh, Yoshimitsu, right? Yeah, because he um, or was it Valdo? It's one of the characters. Oh no, no, no. was it Valdo? <clears throat> like yeah, it was, of course it's Valdo. Yeah, yeah, of course. He's he's got uh, the weird. Um, he has to use splash where you just do nothing but flop around. Yeah, he can <laughs> he can he can walk at you uh, crotch first. Like uh, you know, arched over on his back, like like the like the girl in the Exorcist. That's that's how you do the magic art transformation. <laughs> and then he can start hopping. <laughs> oh, that's great. I will say, out of the new Pokemon, um, some of them are still really good. Like uh, like Phalanx, that one is genius. That's like. Uh, such a good design, you know? Like, you, you think it's a caterpillar, 
right? And then it's actually like a bunch of little dudes with shields, right? It's it's um, it's got a twist, but it's not overly complicated. It's like thematically like really on point, like uh, yeah. It's and it's just a great design. It's it's a really fun looking design. It's not over detailed. It's it that one's pretty perfect. But yeah, it I, um it, it kind of feels like you would fight it in Mario Odyssey. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, it wouldn't be out of place in Dragon Quest either. I I do the yes. one you were talking about. I kind of like the Nicket and Thievel, like the the like the 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 burglar looking fox ones. Those are actually pretty yeah. fun. But um. I just feel you can have a burglar fox and you can have a what appears to be like an octopus suction cocktail fox as two different Pokemon, and they would still work really well. Yeah, I actually didn't notice the suction cup thing at first, and you're right, it seems very superfluous. Um, yeah, it definitely feels like they were trying to do too much. Some of these like are clearly just like they had a pun in mind, like Colossal. Which, which one is that? It's like a coal one that's got like a pile of embers on top of his head Ugh. yeah I, I think he's an evolution of uh carcoal which is also a pun which just has a smaller head with another pile of embers. like it's basically a rock with a pile of embers so it's just a pile of burning coal basically okay like uh, it's so, like first uh, form kind of feels like some kind of metroid enemy yeah so like, the, the ones that i like the design of but i don't think i like them as pokemon is like uh zamazenta or like a Turn, or a Turnatus, where, like, they look cool, but they're, like, way too complicated to be a Pokemon. Like, they don't... Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, a Turnatus uh, and Zamzetta, as in Zamazetta. Like, one of them looks like a, a shield, like, lion slash, like, parade float. And the other one looks kind of like a jellyfish masked up with, like, mashed up with, like, the Enter, the Star, Star, you know, Star Trek Enterprise ship or something. Jellison? Which one? Jellison. It has a little crown, right? Uh, that's a... I think maybe it's an evolution or a de-evolution of it. Yeah. Well, um... Yeah, yeah, Like, a lot of the a lot of the cat, like, wolf-looking ones seem to have a lot of stuff going on on them. And, you know, going back to Meowth... Like, okay, Meowth is, like, an anthropomorphic cat, but then Persian is... It is, like, a cougar with a gem on the head, and that's it. And that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I remember now, like Scyther is basically just a praying mantis with blades. And a dragon. I'm pretty sure Scyther is uh, the Dragon Quest anime, uh, the one with Abel, the Native American dude. Like there is a monster in it that is a Scyther, and they kill it, and a gem falls out of it. Yes, it's, it's exactly Scyther. Pretty yeah. Yeah, I need to rewatch cool. it at that screen cap. Nido King and Nido Queen also show up in that anime. They're two dragons protecting their nest. That's right. Abel stops the uh, column from from falling over on on their babies. Yeah. 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 And then that's how they decide, like, oh, like you know, the adventure and the dragon don't have to kill each other. Yeah. I was gonna say all I can think of is the episode where the, there's like a town and they have a scyther. And I want to say it's um, a McChamp or a McChomp. And they're both like dojos or something, or they're both fighting Oh, it's clans. Electabuzz. Electabuzz, thank you. Yeah, it has the big arms. And that's when I remember that, like, he doesn't say his name like a Pikachu. He just goes, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. He just yells. Um, it's because uh, his Japanese name is Strike. So the timing for him to talk is much, much shorter. He just, in Japanese, he just goes, Strike. Uh, uh, that was a good episode. Um, do you guys remember the episode where all the Pokemon are stuck on an island together and it actually is translating what they're saying? It was in the first or second season. vaguely remember it, um, but I don't really remember, like, what was happening. Like, there's, like, like it's, like, Meowth and um, uh, Ekans and uh, Pikachu, you know. Uh, and they're, I, I forget how they're all stuck on this island, but they're all, like, talking to each other with their normal saying their Pokemon. But, but it yes. has subtitles that's translating what they're saying. It's actually one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the one where uh, Ekans can shine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, All the movies are interesting. The TV show, like, it's just been steadily going good. It's because they have a good world. And nobody is ever, like, too much of a jerk. Just enough. Yeah. Yeah. The past is really neat. They always hint at, like, well, it was basically, like, a Dragon Quest World War going on for most of their history. They, they show it directly in... Um... One of the movies, right? The one with the... Uh, yeah, the, one of the, the 2000s movie with Lucario. Yeah, yeah, Lucario. Is yeah. a wizard is trying to prevent this war from happening, and it's a blue... like It's a red army and a green army, and that's Pokemon, red and green. Those were the yeah. first games. Like, oh, that's cool. I'm happy to, to toot my own horn and say, like, I was thinking about, like, when I first played Pokemon, I was like, wow... They're always hinting at, like, how the world was really dangerous. You know, you have a ninja who used it for ninja operations. Lieutenant Surge is a war veteran. And, like, Team Rocket, they're weapons dealers. Like, this is a D&D, a Dragon Quest world with modern thinking. Yeah. So, speaking of Dragon Quest, I have to bring up, have you guys played uh, Dragon Quest Builders? It's shockingly and insanely way more fun than I would think. Yes. Yeah. It's it. It just feels really good to hit things in that game. Yeah, it really does. You I think it's going to be Minecraft, and it's yeah. Minecraft, it's they things kind of like disappear, but you can build crazy contraptions. Dragon Quest Builders is like just dropping an enemy into a hole is great. Just smashing a castle wall is great. To me, this is this is an example of how you can take a gameplay concept that I don't fundamentally like and make it look really attractive and stylized and feel good, and I all of a sudden like it. Like uh, uh, execution, you know, it matters. Like it's it's such a pleasant game from like the way the characters look. Like the even though it's got that low polygon kind of approach, there's something so thoughtful about like the way their hair and their stature works and like the size of the hammer. Like all of it's very well aligned like it's really 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 well balanced so that it feels really really good yeah like um dragon quest builders there's a part where i got to like the ruined castle and it was like really impressive like this is the castle where everyone started killing each other and they're like and their civil the, the, the kingdom collapsed but you and uh you're just going through the ruins and it really does feel like ruins but you get a good feeling of decay because you can, like, break the blocks yourself. It felt like the elements of, and war or conflict broke things in it. Mm. I think I, like, I took a bunch of their chairs because I couldn't make chairs yet. <laughs> that is all we have for Professor Andy this week. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, I apologize for... Uh, 
the background fish tank and any animal sounds. Uh, this was not an official studio episode, but if you are enjoying this, please make sure to follow us on Twitter at Art Eater Podcast, as well as the OG Twitter account at Richmond underscore Lee. For Andy and myself, you can look in the profile and find our Twitter handles. Uh, otherwise, feel free to jump onto iTunes and give us a review or send us some feedback on Twitter. We'd love to hear it. Otherwise, we will see you next week with a full episode. Thank you.